0: Welcome to the Neighborhood Church, I'm glad to see you all, my name is Adam, I'm a pastor here, would you do me a big favor, would you just take a breath, (sighs) and we invite you, maybe in this moment, if you feel comfortable doing so, would you just close your eyes, we've all had a long day, we've had a long week, and maybe for the first time, we just invite you to close your eyes, to take a breath, and would you just, if you feel comfortable, say this prayer silently in your heart. Finish this sentence with me. Lord, thank you. And now, Lord, would you. We pray all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. It's good to catch our breath. It's good to be God's people together. It's good to remember that God is with us always. Tonight, I want to talk about two questions, two pertinent questions. We just sang one of them. The first question is Where do we look for help? The second question is Where do I put my hope? Where do I look for help? Where do I put my hope? We're going to come back to those in a minute. For those of you playing along at home, we're not going to talk about our series in James tonight because these two questions seem very top of mind because I'm not sure you're aware of this, but there was an election this week. There was an election. Did you hear about this, Mark? Yes. Do you know that I talked to a man on Wednesday at 12 p.m. noon and I said, how are you doing? And he says, great. I don't know who won. And I started laughing. He goes, no, I'm serious. I said, dude, have you been in a cave? And he's like, no, man, I feel great. Well, if you're like me and you were up all night watching the results come in, and then if you're a glutton for punishment, you're on Facebook, and you're seeing half of the world going, yes! And then you're seeing the other half of the world just saying, well, that's it. Forget it. I'm done. And you have this tension because, right, we're in a democracy. And what happened this election is half the people are despondent and half the people are overjoyed. And it's not unique to this election, is it? Who remembers what happened four years ago and four years before that? It just happens. It's okay. So tonight I want to tell you it's okay. And tonight I want to talk about these two questions. Jason Knight our neighborhood group leader. He's our student ministry coordinator also. He leads our small group, and he was in the happiest place on earth. He was at Disney World, and on Wednesday morning at 9.46 a.m., he posted in our Facebook small group, he said this. It's on the screen. Jesus is reigning. Jesus is good. Don't let fear drive our story. Instead, Let's be what Jesus has enabled us to be, salt and light to our neighbors. Beautiful. Could not have said it better myself. He was speaking to the Facebook masses that had said on Sunday, or in our case Saturday, whatever happens, Jesus is on the throne. But on Wednesday, we're running around as if what they had said was untrue. And it's okay because we forget It's hard to believe the words we sing and say. He was saying, Jesus is reigning. It's okay, no matter where you fell on the election. But I love what the very first comment that came like immediately after from one of our group members, she wrote this. When I first read this, I thought it said, Jesus is resigning. (laughs) LOL. I thought that was the most extreme response I'd seen. She said, I need more sleep. Can you imagine Jesus waking up and going, well, Pennsylvania's gone, so, I mean, I'm out of here, y'all. See ya. But at least it's not Hillary. I don't mean, uh, whatever. I, can you imagine Jesus doing that? No. Calm down. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay okay Jesus ain't resigning (laughs) y'all every four years these two questions where do I look for help where do I put my hope these are the questions that keep coming up that everybody's asking every four years or if you're like me you may ask it every week every week I want to look at these as you turn to Psalm 146. Would you turn to Psalm 146? It's not going to be on the screen tonight, so I invite you to grab a Bible in the seat back in front of you or to swipe there on your phone. The first question that we're going to look at that we face every four years or if you're like me every week is, where do I look for help? We just sang this. It's a question that another psalmist writes in Psalm 121. He says, we just sang it. Where does my help come from? But he answers his question and he says, my help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. But it's a question that I want to ask tonight and the question that we ask every four years is because no matter where you stand on the election, there is something within you that is looking to someone or something else for our help. And that's okay. So I want you to think, where in my life do I look for help? Let me help you think through this. When plan B happens, when crisis comes, when uh, the season and the waters just are seeming to stack against you, where do you turn? That's where you go for help. And I hope that you can go, as Amy shared, uh, to others to support you, as she said, to lean on. But I hope that when you lean on those people, you're not just leaning, but you're lifting up your eyes to where your help really comes from. And that is God, the creator of heaven, And earth, where do we look for our help? This psalm, Psalm 146, helps remind us that we don't just need to lean in, we need to lift up. The second question as we look to Psalm 146 in a moment is where do I put my hope? Where do I put my hope? In Psalm 146, you'll see that happy are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. That's why I'm asking these questions. So think now about where do I put my hope? Where do I put my hope? Here's a way to help you think through that. What is your longing? What's your deepest longing? And if that's too nebulous for you, maybe I can help you here and say, what is it that comes to your mind when I say, I'll be okay when... Or everything will be great if. That's your longing. That's your hope. And it's okay to have hopes. But I think just like with our help, you can lean into others, uh, provided you're all lifting up to God. It's okay to have longings, but understand that your most deepest longing can only find its rest in the one whose hope is living, faithful, active and so much bigger than the substitutes that we hope for. He is so much more of a helper than the substitutes we hitch our wagons to. So, in elections in everyday life, where do I look for help? Where do I look for hope? We, we can answer it differently every day. Why? Because we forget that God is with us we forget that God is reigning. We forget that he loves us more than we can ever imagine. So tonight and the next week, we're going to just look at a couple songs to take psalms, excuse me, to take a deep breath and say it's okay. And praise God. He knows what he's doing. This is good. This is good. The psalms in particular ground us and remind us you are not alone. Other people have felt what you've felt. Other people have given voice to what you can't seem to express. God is with you. His people have been there too. Let's look at Psalm 146 as we think about and remind ourselves where our help and our hope come from. I'm going to read this psalm, so if you'll follow along with me, although your version may look different. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God all my life long. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortals in whom there's no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. Happy or blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. This is a psalm of praise that's reminding us of who God is and how He's at work in the world. So when we bring to Him these questions of where's my help and my hope, the psalms ground us and remind us. And it does so in this psalm. If you look with me at verse 1 and verse 10, do you see it says, Praise the Lord. It's like a bookend on either side that helps frame everything in between. And it's one word, and it's hallelujah. Can y'all say hallelujah? hallelujah. I, I was wondering if you were going to say it weird like I just did. <laughs> I'm told now. Let me try this. Hallelujah. Is that much better? It's framed on either side by Praise the Lord. It's a praise song. And I just thought about if this psalm begins and ends with praise, I wonder what my day would look like if I had bookends of praise. What would it look like in your life and in my life if we started with Praise the Lord, a hallelujah, and ended, no matter what came in between, with a hallelujah? It's a picture of someone whose help and hope is set in the right place. And I want to tell you, mostly I just roll and drag out of bed. And mostly I just crash land into bed in the evening. But I think it's so important and I don't want to lose sight that this is a praise song. Hallelujah, praise the Lord my soul. And in verse 2, it's as long as I live. And you know about life that it's a lot of this, isn't it? And it's a way of saying we're living in that tension between no matter what happens when things don't go my way, I'll trust in you, to when you're feeling really good and saying you are always this and always that, even if my circumstances don't agree with my estimation. But no matter where you are, up, down, side to side, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I'll sing praises to my God all my life long. And because his life, this psalm, is bookended with praise in no matter what season, he offers us a really beautiful reminder in verse 3. He says, Do not put your trust in princes, in mortals in whom there's no help. When their breath departs, they return to the earth. On that very day, their plans perish. You see, he understands our human condition, and that is to look everywhere but up and it's natural, and it's okay. It happens every four years, and it happens subtly, and not so subtly, every week in our life. Because we go out and try to earn the love, and affirmation, and the success that has been given to us by the one who we are to praise. We settle for cheap substitutes. This isn't just a psalmist issue. Several thousand years ago, this is a human issue. We want to go look for help and hope everywhere else because we think that it's more real if we can see it. Our bank accounts many times are a lot more real than the God that we cannot see. Let's just say it. Where does my help come from? I'm looking at my Chase app. But here's the thing. This is a reminder that says, do not put your trust in any substitute because there is no one that can love you and provide for you like God. Why would we need to go anywhere else? Well, we forget. So he reminds us. And what he means, do not put your trust in princes, is this. Don't expect them to do what only God can do. The thing is that they're not all bad. They're just not eternal. We can have all the hopes and dreams, but the psalmist says, look, brass taxes, when they die, their dreams, their platforms die with them. They can help, yes. I'm not negating that. But ultimately, who can give you the kind of help that not just you want, but you need? Who gives us the real help? Oh, that we would have the grace to trust the God we can't see in all the places we need help that we can see. So here's where the rubber meets the road. If we're not to trust in princes, he says in contrast, verse 5, happy instead are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. So the contrast then is if we're not trusting princes, or what he means is people in power. Do you all know any princes? No. What he means is the powerful people who make all kinds of great plans but really, they can't ever be for you what you want them to be if you're putting your hope and help in them. So he contrasts and says, no, instead, you're not wringing your hands no matter what happens. You said, "Happier are those whose help is in the God of Jacob. Why? He made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. He keeps faith forever. This God, when he dies, he's not going to die. His plans ain't going to perish. His plans are going to go on long after anyone else who's trying to be a substitute. So we contrast this, and, and we see here this flip, this reverse. So if we're not to put our trust or find our hope there, we're supposed to find our help and hope in the Lord our God. Let me help put some flesh and blood on this trusting god means knowing the ultimate outcome will always be for the ultimate good if you want if you're writing notes just so you know I'm not making it up write romans 830 excuse me romans 828 write genesis 5020 write bible Because it is a story of God taking the raw materials of sin and death and racism and hatred and violence. And he's taking all this raw material we hand to him. And he's constantly, continually renewing, restoring and reclaiming what was lost. That's the story of the scripture. So when we trust him it means that I'm not going to let my circumstances dictate my reality. However this looks, I am trusting that it is not too chaotic for God. Do you look with me? Can you see in verse 6? He not only made the heaven and earth, what else did he make? The sea. The sea in this Bible. The sea in the psalmist's mind is chaos. You read Jonah, and he's thrown into the sea. You read Jesus, who's uh, calming storms on the sea. You read Job and Psalms, and they talk about the raging waters. Uh, Amy read Isaiah 43, Though the waters of the sea rise around me, they are terrified of the sea. Why? The sea is chaos. Guess who made the sea? Guess who is not terrified by the sea? Guess who's not threatened by the sea? Guess who has from day one bringing over the waters light and life and order out of the chaos he finds? God. Who can help you in the chaos? God. Who can be the tangible expression of stability? God's people if we would learn to join him and to look to him also hope then is expectation that god will do what he said he'll do hope is an expectation it's a starting block kind of waiting that the it's going to be time soon that it's going to happen it's an expectant Active waiting. It's not wishing that says, well, I would love to win a million dollars, but I ain't going to go buy a lottery ticket. And Pastor Bud, I'll say this because he's in the ark, ain't going to write me a check. I ain't going to get that kind of bonus at this church. We need a few more services and people, I guess. I don't know. Nobody likes church growth jokes and pastor salaries. How can we trust God? How can we hope that God will actually do what He says He'll do? Well, we get reminded of who He is. So He tells us He's this creator, but look how He's at work in the world in verse 7. You see, there's a big chunk of people in this country that if you asked them and said, do you believe in God? Depending on who you ask, research will tell you in the 80s or 90s, they'll say yes. But if you press, you'll find that even of the 80 or 90%, if you ask him, well, what is he up to? He he really seems to be more about somebody who just kind of created this, spun the top that we call the earth, and he kind of just said, well, that's really beautiful to look at, and he just kind of washed his hands and he walked away and he's like doing other God stuff over here because the universe is huge and there's other stuff to do. So they may believe in God, but they don't believe that he actually has any mind or care to the affairs of our world or much less our daily life. Let the psalm remind us you can help, find help, and put your hope in this God because he is active run with me again through these verses and see how God is at work in the world he executes justice for the oppressed he gives food to the hungry The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers and upholds the orphan and the widow. But the way of the wicked He brings to ruin. Who did He just name? People. Who is He involved with? People. He creates, He stays faithful, He brings justice, He feeds and provides, He frees prisoners, He restores sight, He lifts up the low, He loves His own, He protects the unprotected, He cares for the uncared for, He disrupts the evil plans that want to thwart His good recreation progress, and He reigns then, now, and always. He's the helper to the helpless. What's beautiful at this list, about this list, is that these are none of the VIPs we heard on the campaign trail. Nobody wants the blind. Nobody wants the starving. Nobody wants the orphan, nobody wants the widow, nobody wants the humble, nobody wants the prisoner, nobody wants those who are struggling in an unjust world. We expect them to get all their crap together before they come to us. But would we be a church that prays that dangerous prayer we looked at last week that says, Lord, give us all the people that nobody else wants. Because when all the people that nobody else wants comes, it gives an opportunity to say, you need help? I cannot help you. But guess who can? You need hope? Man, from my seat in the bleachers, it looks pretty bleak. But you know who's way more hopeful than I am? Jesus, who stared down the cross, and for the joy set before him, he endured and scorned its shame. And he said, I know my Father well enough that however bad this cross looks, I am trusting that he'll bring me out the other side. He knows and trusts his Abba. Jesus knew his hope and his help was on his Abba, which is the word that he taught us to pray. And it says, Dada. He knows his help and his hope comes from Abba. Why? Because he knows Abba. The Psalms remind us. Not only that he'll reign, not only that he's with all these least and lowly, he's with you too. And he wants you to know him. And when you know him, you can love him. But the problem is we've got all these distorted views of who he is. We think that he is up there and he looks just like the father who's run us out. And we think that he's up there and he looks just like the person who cast us out and judged us and said, no thanks, you're not good enough. He thinks he's just like that mother who was just so concerned with just being this, that, and the other. you got to be just this way. He is not like that. And his greatest desire is that you could see him and know him as the God who is love. I will never forget the terrible mornings at 3 a.m. in the middle of the night when my two daughters were babies. I won't forget it. It was terrible, and I wasn't even really feeding him half the time. I would just try to be some semblance of a decent husband. Who, when Amy would wake up, I would kind of wake up and say, "Hey, what do, you, what do you need me to do? You need me to go do something?" No, okay. And I'd try to like kind of be half awake, and I'd like be sleeping like this. But there were moments, even in those terrible times, that God was so gracious to teach him. To, excuse me, teach me about Him. And what happens on those rare nights when I would be up at 3 a.m. And I'd be holding a little red-headed chubby baby. Both of them were red-headed and chubby. And it happened with both of them. I'd be holding them and sometimes he would remind me. Sometimes he would get to me. Because I didn't have the TV on. I didn't have my phone on. And I just had this little pink little baby. And I would look down at Emma. I would look down at Nora. And they have not done one thing to merit any kind of decency in this world. Oh, Adam, that's harsh. Dude, Nora, I remember one Saturday, projectile vomiting. I'm about doing the exorcist on her and like praying like this far out. But no, what did I do? I look down and I'm saying things like, darling, I love you so much. You are beautiful. And every night since the day they were born to tonight, I kissed them on the forehead and I said, you are precious. You are special. You are beautiful. And I love you. And what I wanted to do at 3 a.m. is look down at her and say, I wish you could know I wish I could download what's going on, what's broken open in my heart, into your heart. And I wish you would know why. So when the world comes and tells you otherwise, you can know that you are a beloved daughter. That you can know that you're beautiful. That you can know that you're precious. That you can know that he thinks the world of you. That he would give his life for you and he wouldn't even think or blink. He would do it and he would love you. He'd move mountains for you. He would do everything for you. Your dad would. Well, guess who's way better of a dad than me? And we look at this psalm and we see God intimately involved with all these people who could never do one thing to earn it. And he says, you don't have to. He says, you don't have to. And why do I think God looks like this? Because I've seen Jesus. And I've seen Jesus say, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He sent me to proclaim good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, to proclaim the freedom to prisoners and captives, and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. You don't have to earn it. I'm here. It's for you and all the wrong people. Get on board. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he loved the same kind of nobody. Buddies. And in our church, there's two tests to what your picture of God ought to look like. Number one is: are you caring about the people that God cares about? Because if you're judgmental and you are out to get people and you're raging on Facebook and you're raging at people at work, you've got this view of God that may be a little too not God. But the second test is this, does your view of God look like Jesus? Because Jesus Christ said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Paul says, Jesus is the image the you can touch and see and hear him, image of the invisible God. Hebrews in chapter 1 says, in the past, he th- spoke through prophets, he spoke in the law, he spoke this way and that, but in these last days, he's put a period on his revelation to the world, and he's spoken in Son. It's not that Jesus looks like God, although Jesus looks like God. It's that God looks like Jesus. And when we go to the Psalms, we see glimpses and we see the beauty in the shadow. We see in Moses and Joshua, all these guys, this storying project of trying to sort out what God is like and what he's asking them to do in the world. But when Jesus comes, the light dawns and it says the word of God who is with God and was God has become flesh and blood and he's moved into the neighborhood. You can see him and he's with all the wrong people. You can see him and he's loving all the nobodies. You can see him and he's raising people from the dead no matter what choices they've made. He doesn't do it always. He was in a walking emergency room. But his heart was always bent toward bringing what was broken and misshapen. And that's called the reign of God and that is gospel. And so where is our help I hope that you can say it's in Jesus who reveals this Father who is attested to by the Holy Spirit. But I hope you can put your help in Him because you know Him. Because you know Him. And He's the eternal God who helps the helpless. And He can help you. Even when I can't. So where do I put my hope? In the God who's restoring creation. And you. And you, you matter. You are beautiful. You are precious. You are special. That's what I say to my girls, but that's because that's what God said to me in Isaiah 43, 4, and she read Isaiah 43 tonight. If we would know Him, we would trust Him. So Lord, help us to know You, to trust You, to love You, and to join You in being the people that you are wanting in this world to announce good news and to be good news because of how you are shaping us, even us. So bless us and keep us. Keep us awake tonight as we go to sleep to the ways in which we can say, praise the Lord. Because the Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Amen. And would you receive this benediction? May
1: you remember that all politics and all platforms and all legalities and all borders and all leaders are temporary. May you recall that political movements and boundaries and personalities and programs are here one day and gone the next. All of these things are passing away. May you resist the temptation to place ultimate trust in any person, policy, party, movement, or nation. Even a beautiful idea that is embodied by a nation because there is no nation with an eternal foundation. May you know that your kingdom is not of this world, but of the world that is coming to this world and that is not yet here. May you have strength and beauty and determination and wisdom as you love your neighbor and your enemy as Christ has loved you, seeking with all persons to bring justice, mercy, and lasting peace. And May your posture toward every human leader be driven by respectful prayer, and where protest and prophecy and nonviolent resistance are needed, may you have the courage to speak and oppose and critique in humility and charity. Amen. Go in peace, and now hug somebody.